Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This 24-part series on interpreting the book of Revelation was given at Tungling Bible College in Singapore back in 2002. Be sure to get a copy of the textbook by the same title, available from Amazon in your region in paperback and ebook formats, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Uh, I know, I know, we'll, we'll deal with this a little bit more fully, but say when it comes to uh, like verse 4 of Revelation 20, so verse 1, 2, and 3, you see Satan bound for a thousand years, and then uh, on uh, verses 4 through to 6, we notice those uh, that we put in here who have part in the first resurrection. So the dead in Christ rise first, and we which alive remain caught up to meet them, then we're uh, uh, with the Lord, and then the Lord cleanses the earth of sin and sinners, and then sets it up for the uh, millennial kingdom. And then uh, in verse 4, just to remind you again, I saw thrones, and they, whoever they are, that's, uh, uh, we'd have to think, okay, who comes up in the first resurrection? And the context sort of tells us, they sat on them, and judgment was given unto them. And so we see this referring to the saints, and I saw the souls of them, uh, so we have a special class here also that would be headed for the witness of Jesus. And that uh, definitely refers to the tribulation saints who come up in the resurrection. Uh, they didn't worship the beast or his image or uh, get the mark in the forehead and the hand. And they lived, which implies resurrection, lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And then, uh, but the rest of the dead, which uh, I would understand refer to the wicked dead, live not again until a thousand years were finished. So we have first resurrection and second resurrection. And then we have the character of those who are in the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. So the dead in Christ will rise first. What's their character qualities? They're blessed, they're holy. And uh, on such the second death has no power. They shall be priests unto God, so worshipping priests under God and of Christ, and reign, priests and kings, reigning with Christ a thousand years. So we'll come back to that in a moment, but uh, uh, a lot of questions here, and God only gives us so much of what's going to take place in the uh, millennial kingdom, I'll come back to that, but I want to, want to look at some scriptures here that when Jesus comes back the second time, and the saints are judged that he's coming, not for, not for salvation, but for the rewards. I'd like you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to give you several scriptures here now that I didn't give you before uh, as we continue on Revelation chapter 20 and then um, finally chapter 20, 21. Let's turn uh, over to 2 Corinthians. No, let me change my mind. Uh, we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, go to Revelation chapter 11. Chapter 11 first. Revelation chapter 11, and uh, pick up in verse 15. So the last trumpet, listen to some of the language here, because as I said, we often just surface read the word and we miss it. So uh, Revelation 11 and verse 15, and the seventh angel sounded. Now we have to connect that with chapter 10, verse 7, where it says in old authorized, but in the days, plural, what days? of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound. 
So that's uh, Revelation 10, 7. So the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, New King James said, when he's about to sound. So remember, as I said about the seals and the trumpets, it's a point of commencement, a point when they begin, but they sound or continue over a period of time. So if you keep that in mind, with the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, point of time, period of time. So in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when it should begin to sound, then in chapter 11, we have 1260 days. So what I'm saying here, the voice of the seventh angel sounds over a period of time, a point of time when it begins to sound, then sounds over a period of time, then Revelation 11:15, he finishes sounding. So it's the last trump. So the seventh angel sounded, in other words, finished sounding. And what happens now? There were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom, uh, should be singular, kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. So pointing to, in this case, the millennial kingdom. So the kingdoms of this world, as we saw in Daniel's image, destroyed by the brightness of Christ coming, the stone kingdom. Kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. 24 elders and uh, so forth fell down and worshipped the Lord. Now verse 18, very pivotal verses, very uh, pivotal uh, phrases here. And the nations were angry. What are they angry about? Thy wrath is come, the wrath of God, the day of wrath is come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged. What dead? The dead in Christ rise first, first resurrection. Time of the dead, that they should be judged. And who are they? and that you should give reward. Now that was my tenth point. Saints judge at the beam of the seat of Christ and rewarded according to their works. So this is all anticipative, anticipatory of the second coming here. So thy wrath has come, the time of the dead that they should be judged. Uh, and we know what, because Paul doesn't contradict John, John doesn't uh, contradict Paul. The dead in Christ will rise first. So first resurrection, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. And that you should give reward unto who? Your servants, the prophets. So remember the word to Daniel. Go your way, Daniel. It's sealed to the time of the end. You will stand in your lot at the end of the day. So Daniel's rewarded. He takes his lot and position with the prophets. So reward your servants, the prophets. And to the saints. What saints? Okay. Tribulation saints, resurrection saints, the dead in Christ, the alive and remain. And them that fear your name whoever it is, small and great, and now judgment, and it should destroy them which destroy the earth. So the Antichrist, beast, false prophet, nations destroying the earth. That's the picture that we have. So we've got to keep that in mind. So I want to look at this rewarding of the prophets and the saints and those who fear God's name. Now, let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 now. And uh, just always remind yourself, this is the divine jigsaw puzzle parts. We try not to force the parts or distort the picture, but try and bring the parts to, uh, together and how they lock and interlock. And hopefully without uh, contradicting anything. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in verse, uh, verse 10, uh, listen to what Paul says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is the beamer seat. 
And like when I was in uh, Aquaconth many years ago in the Middle East, Athens and so forth, uh, Aquaconth, when the, when the races were on, the Olympic Games were on and so forth, then the, uh, the judge would sit in the beamer seat, the judgment seat, to give the reward for those who won the race, whatever the case may be. That's what we have, not the great white throne judgment. Great white throne judgment is for sinners, for the unconverted, basically. Uh, but here, the judgment seat of Christ. So we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What for? That everyone may receive the things done in his body. So while we were alive in our body, in my body, according to that which you have done, whether be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Alright, so judgment seat of Christ. When do we appear at the judgment seat of Christ? All right, now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And see, for, for as I understand the millennial kingdom, this is what happens. And when Jesus comes, saints and dead in Christ rise first, we which are alive remain, and then we all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, we're judged according to our works, our rewards, our glories, and in in so forth. And that determines our uh, position in the kingdom. And uh, uh, sometimes the teachings, well, everybody's going to rule and reign in the kingdom. Not, not according to some of the kingdom parables, whatever they mean. Like to one, Jesus says, okay, you, you've been faithful, you rule over ten cities, whatever that means. To another, well, you've been faithful, rule over five cities. To another one, well, you don't rule anything, you're ruled over. So everybody does not rule and reign. Some are ruled over, some are subjects, and so it's too fast uh, you know, to even try and do. That's why I recommend you buy this on the Christian millennium. Uh, and I try to deal with these things fully so that there's a whole order of kingdom. I mean, some of the things that, you know, Jesus said to the 12 apostles, in the, in the regeneration of the Son of Man, when he comes in his kingdom, you will sit over the 12 tribes of Israel. What, national, natural, unregenerate Israel? No, spiritual Israel. So the 12 apostles reigning and uh, sitting with Christ. And so we have a whole order of the king, the kingdom, and uh, his government, all that. And then those who rule and reign with Christ, those who are subjects of the kingdom. Whereas it said, don't lose their salvation, they may lose their reward. So it's hard for us to comprehend all that. What is the whole purpose? What's the whole uh, thing about the Millennium Kingdom? And we don't seem to have too much on it. We do have some uh, uh, implications. So listen to First Corinthians chapter 3, uh, which I've used a bit over the years and always challenging to me. Uh, so go down to verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and pick up in verse uh, 9b. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and other builds thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, uh, for the day shall declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereon, he will receive a reward. So, Revelation 11 says to reward the saints, to reward the prophets, them that fear God. So, Christ comes, we receive a reward. I've gone through every reference in the New Testament on reward. Let no man take your crown. Don't lose your reward. So forth. If any man's work shall be burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so is by fire. So he doesn't lose his salvation, he loses a reward. Whatever that reward is. 
and then he goes, I found the temple of God. Now, when I, when I teach on this, and I think I refer to this uh, just another session somewhere here in this everlasting gospel this week, um, <laughs> this is how I felt the Lord uh, deals with me on it. So, Kevin Connor is going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment, but the judgment seat of Christ, the beginning of the thousand years, uh, millennial uh, on the kingdom. And so when I stand before the Lord, though this may come across humorously, it still has its element of truth in it. I believe that I've been challenged on in my own life. And the Lord says, okay, Kevin, when you're on the late planet Earth, what did you do? And I said, well, Lord, I really worked hard for you in the kingdom. I would like works, holy sweat. You know, I did tongue seminar, I did the whole book of Revelation in one week. Weren't you there? Uh, yeah. you know, in fact, I've done it twice. I did it better the second time than the first. You know, and I was still confused. I mean, and, and, and then, look at all the seminars I've done. Look at all the nations I've been. Look at all the books. Fifty books I've written, Lord. Didn't you read any of them? And I say, yeah, Lord, I've got all these acres and acres of stubble over here. I've got these... Beautiful haystacks that I built because I used to be on a farm. It's not a straw out of place, and they've got all these tons and tons of wood, a lot of holy sweat. I worked hard for you on the late planet Earth. And the Lord says, Okay, angels, strike a match on the consuming fire. And so, takes a match and puts all my wood hand stubble. Holy smoke! <laughs> it just all goes up in smoke. You know, and then the Lord says, okay, Kevin, I want to reward you pretty much you've done on the late planet Earth. Uh, and, you know, uh, as I said, it may come across humorously, but don't miss the truth beyond the humor. You know, what does it mean when it says Jesus is going to wipe tears from our eyes? I mean, if that happens to me, honestly, I think of all I've done for the Lord on the late planet Earth and worked hard, is it ashes? And I just bring and say, Lord, probably got a heap of ashes. No reward. I'll burst into tears and Jesus wipes tears away from my eyes. But I really want to check out that what I'm doing is gold, silver, and precious stones. Amen. Not what not wood hay and subtle. That's what I'm saying. And I, I think today a lot of ministries, videos I call them, big time operators, television, whatever. What are they doing? Who are they trying to impress? Ripping money off people right or left. And then when, when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ, they won't lose their salvation. No more. No more. That's it. On the other hand, there may be some little sister, and the Lord says to Sister uh, Fitztwiddle, nobody by that name here, <laughs> what did you do on the planet Earth? Well, Lord, I've got a little bit of gold, a little bit of silver, and uh, just one precious stone. And the Lord says, okay, put it through the fire. The fire destroy her works. It just simply purifies it. She gets the reward and said, well, Lord, you know what, I didn't, I didn't do much on the earth. You know, they didn't think much of women's ministry in most places. <laughs> <laughs> they made all these jokes about women. <laughs> but she gets a reward. How many get the picture? You know, I said it comes across humorously, but it's still very serious. And so, you know, over my 75 years, I said, Lord, I want to do something that's gold, silver, precious stones that will stand the fire. And that I haven't done a bunch of wood, hay and stubble. Impress people on earth, but God didn't get anything out. Now, I don't lose my salvation, but I lose my reward. So the issue is, Paul says, what am I building? Paul has laid the foundation, apostolic ministry, we're all building. What am I building? What sort of material am I putting in? Because gold, silver, precious stones, 
is, is uh, you know, it's, it's imperishable, it's non-destructible. It'll go through the fire, it'll stand the test. But wood, hay and stubble, impress the late, you know, late paper of a, a bunch of ashes. I don't want that. How many here I'm saying? So it's about rewards, that's what I'm talking. So a lot of people, when they stand before the Lord, a lot of the BTOs go into the kingdom, although very big on the earth, but when they go to the kingdom, just a subject. Uh, lose their salvation, lose their reward. Go over to another very challenging scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Pardon me getting emotional here, but these things are still very real. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this has to do with the resurrection too. So all these things, you know, part uh, pertain to the second coming. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, let's go down to... Uh, uh, verse, uh, say verse 40 will do. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 40. Paul is talking about the resurrection body. Now the, this is his chapter on the resurrection and the resurrection body. So he says in verse uh, 40 we'll say, there are, there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one. And the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. And here's his interpretation. So also is the resurrection of the dead. That's it. I, I just, yeah, I feel quite emotional about this. Because in the resurrection, see, because of our general teaching and preaching, oh well, when we when Jesus comes, everything's going to be fine. We're going to live happily ever after. It'll be fine. No, no, no. If we study Paul a little bit more, I'm not talking about salvation issue. I'm talking about place in the kingdom, glory in the resurrection, rewards. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not well done, thou good servant, because some people can be good musicians but not faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful. Faithfulness. So in the resurrection, some are going to come up with the glory of the sun. Some are kind of going to come up with the glory of the moon. Some are going to come up with the glory of the stars. As the stars vary from one another in glory, different glories. So also is the resurrection of the saints. Now, the challenge to my own heart, that's why I feel pretty emotional about this. What determines our resurrection glory? God or us? I'll tell you what we do. I'll tell you why. See, years ago, I was what I call, and I don't get too sidetracked on this, okay. I was what I call an unbelieving believer. I didn't believe in water baptism. I didn't believe in communion. I didn't believe in speaking in tongues. I didn't believe in the gifts of spirit. I believed in Jesus, but all this other stuff. And I just, sorry to say this, but I, I feel for a lot of churches. So, well, we love Jesus, but tongues, that's of the devil. We don't want that. Oh, I love Jesus, but what about it? And we don't believe in what about it. You'd be surprised. Another church, well, we don't communion. We don't have communion. We don't believe that. Oh, we believe in Jesus. What is going to determine their glory in the resurrection? Let me go and say it in a few words, because it's a whole message in itself. Obedience to light determines your glory in the resurrection. Well worth writing down, thinking about. That's why I feel moved on these things. I want to be obedient to all the light that I see in God's Word. And everybody can say amen. amen. So obedience to light determines our resurrection glory. So it's not that they're not going to be saved. 
If I hadn't died then, I love Jesus, I would have gone straight to heaven. But in the resurrection, see, that's how the Lord had to deal with me very strongly. Kevin, why aren't you being water baptized? Well, you know the denomination I belong to, they don't believe in it. Why won't you have communion? Why won't you feel the Spirit speaking to Well, we didn't believe in the Lord. We said it's not for the day. Don't you know? I belong to that denomination. And the Lord, it's just like the Lord said to me, Kevin, I don't care what your denomination believes. You're going to be judged according to my word. The word that I have spoken you. Spoken to you in that day will judge you because I've not spoken myself. It's my Father's word. So I don't know how many sort of feel a challenge that the Lord dealt with me on that. So that's why these things are very real. So, all right, so judgment seat of Christ. And so it determines our rewards, our glories, and the resurrection, and our works, and, and our, our place in the kingdom. Whatever that all means, that's it. So some will rule and reign with Christ, some will be subject to the kingdom. Okay, now. Have you, have you really felt, and I've been preaching a bit, a bit, how many really feel you've got something out of that? Yeah. Yes. So, so, sort of summarizing, you've got all this, so don't worry about So, second coming events, major events, and, you know, it's reasonable chronological order, I, I feel pretty safe on. So, the Battle of Armageddon, number one. Number two, Antichrist paralyzed. Number three, Antichrist and false prophet cast in the lake of fire. Number four, the seventh trumpet finishes sounding. Did I say that before? No, I, I think I missed that somewhere. Okay, you should have had that somewhere. Okay, you put it down wherever. Seven trumpet finishes sounding. Number five, Moses, Elijah, rise and ascend. Number six, the first resurrection, the dead in Christ, rise first. Uh, number seven, the living church, translated with them and meet the Lord in the air. So revelation, resurrection, rapture. Uh, number eight, all the wicked on earth destroyed. Number nine, Satan passed into the bottomless pit. Number ten, Oh, did I give you this? Maybe. Yeah. Number 10, earth cleanse of sin and sinners and anointed for the kingdom age. Oh, yeah, add, 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 add a couple of others. I'm sorry. On this. Number 11, the consummation of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. So the consummation of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. By that, I mean where it says, an end, an end will be made of sin and... Uh, uh, finish the transgression and all that and anoint the most holy and the most holy place was uh, a thousand cubits, ten by ten by ten, a thousand cubits. So anointing the most holy, in other words cleansing the earth and then what I've just been on now, judgment seat of Christ for believers, rewards, glories, place in the kingdom. So that's what I believe happens at the second coming of Christ. There may be other details, I'm sure there are, but at least that... Uh, uh, gives us a general view. So how many feel reasonably comfortable with what I've done on that? Okay, so somewhere at the second coming, all these other scriptures that John just does in Revelation 19, second coming, and then says straight into a thousand years, and he doesn't give us all the detail. Paul's already given it to Jesus as we've just got to see how they fit reasonably chronologically in this period of time. Okay, so has everybody finished with the overhead on this now? So the two other things you should have had, I'm sorry, seven trumpet finishes sounding in the days of the voice of the seven angels when he finishes sounding and then consummation of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. So 12 things you should have had there. Okay, now I want just to spend a little bit more time here, uh, see how our time's going. Uh, it's going. <laughs> this wind would stop blowing my notes away. It would help. All right, now I just want to give you uh, a few thoughts still on the on the thousand years uh, millennial kingdom. Where uh, put them somewhere? 
is there any way we sort of could stop this wind blowing my notes away all the time? I'm trying to, uh, it keeps blowing them off on me. Okay, now just a few more thoughts on, uh, on this here. But I want to extend this a little bit more. the overhead in a minute, but uh, just to do it here. So this is the picture basically we've had so far, so the Lord Jesus Christ, and then over the period of time we have the church, and uh, so from this part of, uh, time we'd say Revelation chapter 1 right through to uh, uh, chapter 18, so we've covered that. Just basically church history and events of the seals and trumpets and so forth. And then Revelation, no, wait, wait, let's correct this here. Uh, yeah, Revelation 10, that's right. Then Revelation chapter 11 through to 18, that's right, events of the three and a half years that we've looked at right here. Now we come to Revelation 19, so second coming and events that must take place in the second coming. And then we have the thousand-year kingdom here, and then uh, that's Revelation 20, and then Revelation 21 and 22, which will be our final session. We have the new heavens, I'll just abbreviate out this, new heavens, and new earth, and new Jerusalem. Uh, that's the picture, new Jerusalem. Okay, so that just sort of gives us a basic overview, say approximately something, 2,000 years, whatever. So the church period, Revelation 1 through to 10, the three and a half year period, 11 to 18, uh, and the second coming, uh, Revelation 19, and then Revelation 20, thousand years, then Revelation 21, 22, new heavens and new earth. So as I said before, just leave the book as it is. John's seeing a divine video, just leave it unfold as it is. Now, I want to remind you of this, uh, just very briefly, uh, what we did here. Uh, what, what we've looked at before, I just want to remind you of this and then do a few, um, a few more thoughts on the millennium. We have, as we've done before, the dispensational view. And so we have the church, uh, the 70 week prophecy, then seven years tribulation, which they have down this end of the age. And then they have what they call a Jewish millennium. And by Jewish millennium, just need to remind you of this now before I give you a few thoughts on the school that I belong to. Uh, Jewish millennium, that in the Jewish millennium, uh, Ezekiel's temple is going to be rebuilt. They're going to go back to animal sacrifices, the Levitical priesthood, uh, circumcision, Sabbath days, and uh, the whole harmonic system and everything like that, all that type of thing. So that is a Jewish millennium, which I used to believe, I no longer believe that. All right, then the amillennial view reacting against this view says, no, there's no thousand years. We're already in the thousand years. The nations are not being deceived. Satan's bound. It's just on the long chain that we forgot to pull. Okay, so now the view I'm giving you here is a Christian millennial view. Okay, that's the school I belong to. So we have the church, which we just looked at, not seven years. So the reaction is uh, extreme fighting extreme, basically. Uh, the dispensational view puts the seven years down this end of the age, 
the amillennial view puts the seven years, the 70s week, up that end of the age, and uh, the Christian millennial view sort of is a balance, I think, between this view and this view. So we have half a week here, three and a half years of uh, ministry of Christ at the beginning of the uh, church age, and then three and a half years, the last half, at the end of the age. And so the church age is bounded by half a week, half a week, three and a half years, three and a half years. That's the picture we have. So we feel that this, our school believes it's a balance between putting the seven years down this end of the age or the seven years up that end of the age. And so this is a Christian millennium. Now, I want you to turn over to Daniel chapter 7 as we look at this uh, a little bit more here. Now, the reason I call it a Christian millennium, and I, I uh, basically think I've coined this, trying to ask the Lord, well, give me some point of identification that people can say, well, what, whatever is that Christian millennium is, that in Daniel chapter 7, and uh, actually several times through the book of uh, Daniel, you'll find that it's the saints that possess the kingdom, not the sinners. Okay, the saints possess the kingdom. So, go to verse uh, 21, for instance. Uh, I beheld on the same horn, made war with the saints, and prevailed against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. And then he said, well, explain about the fourth beast and the ten horns and so forth. But then go to verse 25, and he shall speak great words most, against the Most High, wear out the saints of the Most High, think, think to change times and laws, and they shall be given to, into his hand, time, times, and uh, dividing time, so three and a half years. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away, so judgment of the second coming, take away his dominion, uh, to consume and to destroy it to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion, and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people of the saints, of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and of all dominions shall serve and obey him. And uh, maybe you feel like this now. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much trouble me. <laughs> yes, his thoughts troubled him. So the kingdom is given the saints. Now, by a Christian millennium, this is what I'm saying. I do not believe that uh, in, the, in, the, in, in, the, in the millennium that there will be a rebuilt temple. If you have Ezekiel's temple as a rebuilt temple, theologically, covenantally, these are the problems. If there is Ezekiel's temple as a literal rebuilt temple, as uh, the dispensational view says, then in Ezekiel's temple, you've got circumcision restored. You've got Sabbath days restored. You've got us going back to offering animal sacrifices, body and blood of animals. You've got the, uh, the Levitical priesthood restored. You've got all the Mosaic covenant things restored in Ezekiel's temple. Whereas I understand that we are new covenant believers. And as I said the other day, uh, for God to reinstitute animal sacrifices, circumcision, Sabbath days, ironic priesthood, it means that God has to backslide and go the other side of the cross and forsake the new covenant to restore the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant, it means that God has to forsake the, the Melchizedek priesthood to go back to the Aaronic priesthood. It means God's got to forsake circumcision, which is of the heart, to go back to circumcision of the flesh. 
means that God's going to forsake the body and blood of His only begotten Son to go back to animal bodies, blood and sacrifice. It's the greatest insult to Christ. It's the greatest insult to Calvary to think that God is going to go back to a material temple, either in the end of this age or in the millennial age, to go back to the Mosaic Covenant. I think you could say amen on that, if you believe me. That's the greatest insult to Calvary. Greatest insult to His own begotten Son, to even think of that. And it violates the covenant that we are, the new covenant is the last covenant to be established. That's, that's the thing. So how, how I taught that for years. <laughs> that was deception. That's why I feel great anointing on this. Christian millennium. Saints possess the kingdom. Now turn over to a scripture in Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Well, look at that time. That's not fly. Matthew 13. Now this, 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 this was a revolutionary scripture to me. Matthew 13. Now in Matthew 13, just, just for your little seat bag, you're not going to be tested on this. In Matthew chapter 13, we have seven, at least seven, and I think there's eight, some say eight, some say seven, but seven major parables of the kingdom. So if you put them down like this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, it's just like the seals and the trumpets and so forth. There's the seven parables have their beginning and point of commencement and go right through to the end of the age. How do I know that? Because, all right, let's pick out two major ones which we've already referred to. The wheat and the tares in the kingdom, mixture in the kingdom. And when the guys woke up from their sleep and said, there's an enemy who sowed these tares among the wheat, they said, let's tear out the tares. And Jesus said, don't tear out the tares or you'll tear out the wheat. Let them grow until the end of the age. Then in the end of the age, the angels will come, as we saw yesterday, and separate the wheat and the tares in harvest time. The harvest is the end of the age. Mixture. So... Five of the parables we've already referred to here, pulling the so many loose ends, mixture in the kingdom in this period of time. Then the seventh parable, number seven, is mixture again. The good and the bad fish gathered in the gospel net. And he wanted to say, no, separation to at the end of the age. He'll send forth the angels, they'll take the net, separate the good fish and the bad fish. So all the parables of the kingdom Picture of church age again like the seven churches, beginning here, opening like seals, and continue right. So we're living in the consummation of wheat and tear parable, good and bad fish. We're living in the consummation of the parables. Now, one parable I want to particularly draw your attention to because in this period of time, there is mixture in the church and in the kingdom in its present state. In this kingdom, this Christian millennial, there will be no mixture. The saints possess the kingdom. It's a Christian millennium. No sacrifices, no temples, no devil. Okay, mixture. Now, let's go to Matthew 13. And listen to this uh, awesome verse here. In Matthew 13, uh, we go to verse... Uh, we'll go down to verse 36, just uh, the interpretation of the power of the text. That Jesus sent the multitude away... And went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare to us the parable of the tares of the field, or, uh, yeah, the tares of the field. And he said, he said to them, he's giving interpretation now, he's interpreting the parts of the parable. 
He that sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. So Jesus is taking the parts of the parable and interpreting the parts of the parable. No mistake. And so he says, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. We saw that in Revelation 14. The Son of Man, now listen carefully. I mean, I read this and read it and missed it and missed it and missed it. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that are scandals, a fan scandalizo is the Greek word there, and them which do iniquity. You mean in the kingdom there are those that are scandals and do iniquity? Yes, because in the kingdom it is present state mixture. The mixture. So the Son of Man will send forth his angels and gather out of his kingdom all, A double L. And the last time I looked up the Greek meaning of that word all, it means all. All means all, and that's all it all means. All things that offend. And then which do iniquity. And what's he going to do with them? Take them into the millennial kingdom to give them a second chance. It doesn't say that. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then, when, after the angels have come at his coming, gathered out of his kingdom, tares, bad fish, mixture, 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 gathered out of his kingdom, then, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. If you got ears to hear, let him hear. So when Jesus comes the second time, another event, he's going to gather out of his kingdom in his present state. How many are born again here this morning? Uh, some of you are not. That's, uh, all those are unborn again. You see, when you're born again, except a man be born again, you cannot enter the church. Don't say that. Except a man be born again, you cannot enter. So, how many are in the kingdom this morning? How many are in the church this morning? How many don't know where they are? <laughs> see, the church and the kingdom is mixture today. But when Jesus comes, all mixture is going to be taken out. The harvest time. Christian millennium, the saints possess the kingdom. Alright, so. So many scriptures we do on that. Okay, let me just finish on this because we have one thing. Okay, uh, two or three questions here. People will ask me and have asked me, well, what do we want a, a kingdom for? Aren't we in the kingdom now? What do we want a kingdom for? What do we even want? You know, okay, let me just finish with this on this part. When you go through God's patterns, and uh, I'm just scratching the surface of this because... In the Christian millennium, there's no devil, there's no sin, there's no demons, there's no rebuilt temple, there's no animal sacrifices. The saints possess the kingdom. Uh, the, the earth is cleansed of sin and sinners and Satan. So you need to sort of sort out well, what's in the kingdom, what's it all about. Okay, this is, uh, as I finish on this part, this is, this is what I see is the overall pattern of God. We have what we call number one in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have what we refer to as the week of creation. So the week of creation. I'd like you to take this down just, just for your own enjoyment. 
Okay, week of creation. And in the week of creation, God worked one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven days. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh day. Now at the end of the sixth day, the masterpiece of creation, each of these days, creative days, we spend a whole lot of time on that. But at the end of the sixth day, God's masterpiece in creation was Mr. and Mrs. Adam. He had a perfect bridegroom, Adam, and his wife before the fall was Mrs. Adam. Perfect bridegroom and bride. The masterpiece at the end of the sixth day. When Mr. and Mrs. Adam had their wedding <laughs> and were married, and God took the first wedding, a sinless marriage, a sinless uh, a bridegroom and bridegroom, God said, be fruitful, multiply. And if they hadn't have sinned, they would have produced a sinless offspring. That was God's original purpose. I gave you some clues on Revelation chapter 12, the bride of Christ, the man-child. So they would have a sinless offspring. So Adam and Eve, as we call them, they entered the seventh day rest. Rest. And God said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, populate the earth, fill it with a sinless offspring. And they began with rest. God separated the seventh day, blessed and sanctified. So they began their honeymoon on the seventh day. But the tragedy is, in the seventh day, or somewhere, a serpent came into the garden and brought about the fall of this sinless bride and then the bridegroom, the serpent. So God's rest was broken, man's rest was broken because there can be no rest when sin abounds. So God had to start work again. And so let's go to the second week Number two, and uh, this is found in the whole Bible, <laughs> which you've almost had this week. The whole Bible, from Genesis 3 through to Revelation chapter 22. And in this week of creation, we have one, two, three, four, five, six. And in the fourth day, Jesus came. So one, two, three, four, five, six. And now we're looking at the seventh day, Christian millennium. So, God's, this, this, this week we call the week of redemption. Okay, week of creation, week of redemption. This is God's overall picture, so the week of redemption. So Jesus did, made it all possible judicially, legally on the cross. Experientially, it has to be brought to pass by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now at the end of the sixth day, God the Father already has a perfect bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's after a perfect church because Jesus Christ will not be unequally yoked. Jesus Christ cannot marry the church's bride in her present state. Otherwise he would break his own marriage laws. Be not unequally yoked. So in order for Jesus Christ to marry the church, the church must be of like character and nature. In other words, if the bridegroom is perfectly holy and so forth, the bride must be. Uh, is this right? Yeah. Otherwise, he cannot marry. A sinless bridegroom cannot marry a sinful bride. So he's working on the bride, and that's why Paul gets a mystery. The church is the bride of Christ. 
perfectly holy, without spot, without blemish, or any such thing. Okay. So he's working on the church, a bride of Christ. Revelation 12. This bride and bridegroom are going to enter the millennial kingdom, a honeymoon. The beginning of an eternal honeymoon. And so that there's no messing up of this marriage with the bride, the last Eve, God says, okay, let's grab the old serpent and put him in the bottomless pit. So people say, well, what do you want a millennium for? Well, I say, why? Why did God work six days in creation? Then he was just exhausted. He said, I've got to have a rest. Give me a break. <laughs> God's worked 6,000 years. A day in the Lord is 1,000 years. 1,000 years one day. I'm looking forward to millennial rest when the serpent is bound and we enjoy a Christian millennium. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.